Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome. Welcome to another day of talking about Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and more specifically dealing with or talking about or even discussing the difficult sayings of Jesus. Last week we spoke on some of Jesus's uh, verses or sayings, I guess, related to hell and uh, Gehenna. And this week we are uh, looking at nay to the Gentiles. Why did Jesus say no to the Gentiles when they asked for healing? And why did he not send the disciples out to the Gentiles? Instead, he just sent them all to our Jewish friends. Anyways, these are some questions that have come up along the way, and so I thought maybe we'd discuss this for the next several minutes, probably looking at probably, oh, you know, around 45 minutes or so. 45 minutes of the most exciting time in your life. Before we jump into the the verses, before we really get going here, uh, it seems odd that Jesus would, of course, ignore the Gentiles, uh, as as it seems he had come for all of God's creation, to redeem all of God's creation. We'll get a little bit more into that here in a second. Uh, Second, we also know that uh, it is funny that here in these verses of chapter 10 and chapter 15, those are the only two we'll be really discussing today, there are other areas where Jesus automatically, or not automatically, but Jesus had already healed or helped Gentiles. We also know that there are Gentiles in Jesus' lineage, so uh, he most likely, well, most likely, I would say that's not the right way, he didn't have an aversion to Gentiles, but there was a mission that Jesus had to be on. And again, we'll get into that more here in a second. There are multiple accounts of Jesus healing Gentiles. uh, One of them being uh, where he, and I think it was Matthew 8, where he exercised the two demons out of the the two guys and sent um, them into pigs running down a hill uh, and then jumped into a lake or a river. And uh, those pigs died. Huge financial loss for the people in that town based on the amount of pigs. Uh, that were used, and most likely they were not Jewish pigs because Jews were not allowed to be around pigs. They were unclean. They are, to them, unclean animals. Uh, Ignoring Gentiles here is also opposite of what we know that happened in the Great Commission back in, not back in, but going forward into Matthew 28, where Jesus talks to the disciples about informing all the nations. So, a few things we'll be discussing related to that. A few things that we do know is that early on in Jesus's ministry, he was up in the northern part uh, of an area referred to as Galilee, or uh, I guess you'd know some of those uh, towns as Tyre, Sidon, Capernaum, Nazareth was up there, uh, a few others. And and this is where he had a lot of encounters with not only Jewish people, of course, because there were uh, Jewish communities, uh, but also with Gentile people as well. We do know that he eventually does make his way uh, down to Jerusalem, or if you're more of a geographical nut, he made it up because Jerusalem is uphill, up to Jerusalem. But that's not until later on in his ministry, so we're still relatively early in Jesus' ministry. Let's not forget uh, that Jesus' call, and he makes it clear in chapter 2 and chapter 1 of Matthew, is his mission is to the to the Jews. Uh, Jesus being the Messiah of God's people Israel, we get from chapter 2, verse 6, and he was there to save his people from their sins, his people being the Jewish people in chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, so, a couple of examples here. So, let's, let's as we get going here, let's first start in uh, chapter 10, verse 5. 
and we're really only going to look at five, six, and seven, not even seven, uh, more, more than five and six, but there's a lot more to this. But I'm going to start in verse one, just so you kind of get a context of who he's talking to, and then we'll read a little bit more into that. So, verse one of chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits so they could cast out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Now there are names of the 12. First, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, Jesus sent out these twelve, instructing them as follows, do not go to Gentile regions, and do not enter in any Samaritan town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. <clears throat> Continues to go on and explain about what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to take and how they're supposed to respond to people. And it actually ends there in the, in verse 15. I will tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for the town that, for the most part, kicks you out. And then it, and if you go into verse 23, again, this continues that conversation related to persecution of the disciples. Whenever they persecute you in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not be you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And that's going to be kind of an argument that we use related to the uh, limitation of just to the people of Israel at this time period. Like I said, Jesus is early on as a Galilean ministry. Uh, the 12 disciples that are named here are, for the most part, uh, key components of Jesus' ministry. They are his hands and feet. Uh, Jesus is fully human. He's fully God, too, we can believe. Uh, but he's also fully human, and he was limited to human capacity about how far he could travel at any given moment or time. Now, that changes after the, uh, the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection, where his body seems to be more glorified, and he has the ability to, seems to walk through walls and to get from one place to another relatively quickly. Uh, so this is Jesus in fully human body here at this point. So the hands and feet of these 12 uh, were to help him perform the ministry and give him the tools that he, and, and he, Jesus, gave them the tools they needed to be able to, to do the ministry. Uh, if we look into uh, verse 5, what Jesus is saying would not be a surprise to the 12, as they were also Jews and would not have crossed their minds to meet with non-Jews. Why would they? Because we're Jews and Jesus was a Jew and uh, it's the Jewish religion with the Jewish God and Jesus is the Son of God, and so it just kind of all made sense to compartmentalize it with the Jewish people in their minds. Now, we're 2,000 years later, and we look, hey, that's crazy, what are you thinking? Jesus came for everyone. Exactly, but to the Jews at that time, especially these 12 Jews who were disciples, uh, it, was, it was not as clear to them. At this point, they had not heard the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus had not offered that up to them. They had also not heard uh, Paul speak to the church in Galatia, or actually write to the church in Galatia. He probably spoke there too. Uh, there is no longer Jew or Greek. So their focus, of course, being on the Jewish people at that time. Uh, for the Gentiles at this time, the Gentiles would not have been uh, that interested in hearing these 12 Jewish guys anyways because uh, they they were had their own gods. They had the Roman gods, and some of them had the Greek gods, and they had, of course, the imperial cult, which... Of course, your emperor at that point is a god, and so we have, they had enough gods. And so to have another one uh, would would not have made a lot of sense to most of them. Now, there were some Gentiles at that time who did become followers of the Jewish god, were known as God-fearers, and would take on all of the traditions and ways and rights of the, the Jewish people. So that did happen, but for the most part, it seems that did not happen. And so it's you, that, that's an argument that's made by some. Uh, take it as you, as you will. 
regarding the Samaritans there in verse 5, the Samaritans had their own laws and regulations, even had their own version of the Pentateuch, uh, so they would not really have cared or listened or wanted to. Plus, as we know, as we know because of that, uh, Jews and Gen uh, Samaritans did not mix well at parties, and we are made aware that they would avoid each other whenever possible if you read some of the other Gospels. So, Samaritans, it kind of seems obvious to them, well, yeah, why would we talk to the Samaritan guys? They aren't even real, really Jewish, they're, they're, they're half Jewish, if even that. And we'll talk a little bit more about Samaritans here in a second. Uh, some have looked at this from a logistical, geographical standpoint as a pretty large region, uh, the, the region of Galilee, and it would have been very difficult for them to just to, to go past the Jewish towns and the Jewish synagogues to make it to the Galilean, uh, or not the Galilean, but the Gentile communities. And so some would say, oh, wow, it would just take so much time for them to get there. They're focused, they're being Jews. Uh, they'd talk to the people they're more comfortable with first and then kind of get a good base set there and go on from there. I'm just giving you some really high-level arguments or thoughts uh, related to that based on what I've seen. And like I said, in, in verse 23, it was just kind of weird. Jesus already calls out to them, you won't even be able to hit all the Jewish towns based on the time the Son of Man comes back. And that's a whole other uh, conversation, Son of Man, of course, being Jesus. So he hasn't left yet, but he's going to return. It's, it's just kind of a probably interesting uh, comment that was made by Jesus at that time. Let's, again, look at a little bit more of the exclusion of the Gentiles from a few other perspectives that you may or may have not heard. Uh, some say that Israel here is given one last chance. Uh, to be able to uh, to be the people of God that they were called to be. So people of Israel were to be the separated people. They were to be the nation that would, uh, that would come to God and glorify God and bring the rest of the world, all the other nations, to God based on their lives and how they lived. So they get one more chance, hopefully not to fail, but alas, they failed again. Uh, some on the other side would actually say, well, you know, Jesus never actually said this. This was added later on. Uh, most likely pulled from the uh, resource known as M, which some people would say was was created by a Jewish sect that pulled a bunch of Jewish sayings together. And uh, the author at one point or one of the editors along the way added this saying. <clears throat> so maybe those are just a couple options to think about. We're going to get a little bit deeper into this here in a minute. We're, we're, we're really building up to a lot of things based on everything I've said so far. Uh, so... Um, <clears throat> It seems uh, it was also probably not the best time uh, for this transition to happen as the things were not in place quite yet uh, for a Jew, for a Gentile become a, a what we refer to as a Christian. Uh, now they could a, a Gentile could become a, a Jewish follower, a Jewish a, a, um, proselyte, uh, someone who follows the Jewish God. Uh, but at this time you got to think that for someone to uh, reconvert or recommit their life or change their livelihoods from uh, from being a what we call Gentiles their own religions to being a Jewish leader or Jewish follower Jewish God follower uh, that would have been a significant change to their lives on a socioeconomic level and based on how they would follow Jewish laws and Jewish customs and everything at that point it seems like along the way of course as you look at the the has the church builds and grows and acts more places and things were built and put into place. And then it's also the time that the Great Commission has already been given. Uh, Jesus had now ascended into onto the throne next to God, and we have uh, a lot of rules and regulations, uh, policies and procedures uh, starting to put in place for what it looks like to be Gentiles. And now this church that is, of course, still the Jewish God, but now with Christ being the uh, the Messiah for, for all and not just the Jewish people. 
Why do we think Jesus was thinking through this? Uh, remember, he is also a Jew. Also remember that Matthew writes as a, uh, of Jesus as a Jewish sage and rabbi. He really much treats that and is very consistent with that. And of course, Jesus would see himself as the Jewish Messiah, and he actually admitted that because he does and he is. Uh, his concern was to have the Jewish people re repent and return to God and live as people who are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Remember, that was the purpose of the Jewish people uh, ever since uh, you go back as far as Abraham, and that was the purpose. It was even, I mean, the purpose would go all the way back to the beginning of when people inhabited this earth in the image of God was to bring glory to God and then to be able to take that image of the glory of God and to, to bring it forth. Uh, the Jews were just more of a formal version of that. So for thousands of years, it was the Jewish people who were supposed to lead uh, the world to God uh, as the chosen people of God. <clears throat> Some say that Jesus was possibly hoping and thinking that all the Jewish people would get on the same page finally uh, to repent and to do the work they were supposed to do. The Samaritans and Gentiles would follow. That was the hope. It may have been the plan. This is consistent with the rest of the gospel uh, leading to the Great Commission. It was the 12 Jewish disciples of Christ representing the 12 tribes of Israel uh, who were to make disciples of the rest of the world once Israel got on board. This is also consistent with uh, what Paul wrote uh, to Rome in Romans 1.16, where the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul also knew that the Jewish individuals were supposed to be uh, first, uh, to at least to, to come to know God first before the Gentiles. <clears throat> Let's look at the reference to the lost sheep there in verse 6. Uh, this reference is not used in Mark or in Luke. Uh, it's conjured up a few ideas for people, one being that all the people of Israel uh, is what he's referring to. So all the, all the people of Israel are now lost sheep. Uh, maybe not spoke, focused on, say, the, the northern region or the southern region of Israel <coughs> or Judah, but to, a, to all people. Uh, like I said, others have looked at this in... Uh, okay, so going back to the idea of it all being... So I'm going to stick with the idea that it is all the people of Israel. And I pull this from uh, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16 and Isaiah 53, 6, uh, where there's a reference to all the sheep being scattered and the shepherds who are the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, uh, the scribes, other priestly class, even the Romans, uh, failed to lead the Jewish people properly and to get them on board and following God as they're supposed to. So they failed. And so they are all lost. So it's not just the uh, <clears throat> non-priestly class that's lost, but all people are lost. Uh, Matthew 9.36 confirms this and Jesus' distaste for uh, the priests, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees uh, when he talks about the sheep having uh, living or existing without a shepherd. <clears throat> Some say that the lost sheep phrase was added later on. Uh, there, there have been rumors that Matthew was a bit more pro-Jewish than Gentile, but that had not been proven, and that is counter to some of his pro-Gentile stories peppered throughout the gospel. We can see this in chapter 24 as well as in the Great Commission in chapter 28. Because we like sidebars, here's an interesting one. Uh, it, it all is, but uh, it, it's all interesting, right? Uh, but something to point out in Matthew 8, 5 through 13, Jesus says, uh, there will be people of Israel who will be excluded from the table, but Gentiles will not. This would be hard, just in the same way where Jesus tells the disciples not to go to the Gentiles. And the question that we should ask is, why? who would be the Jewish people excluded? If they're the chosen people of God, why would they be excluded? And the, if you go back to that and look around, you'll see that it's, it's for, for the most part, it's the 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees who, uh, who had not led the people well, who had uh, done things in ways that were not in line with their role and duties as priests uh, for God. So they would be excluded where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You go to last week's lesson to get a little bit more on that. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, Samaritans uh, and what uh, they're kind of who they were. They were kind of like the people of Israel. They, they would actually argue they were more Jewish than the Jews themselves. This may be more of a Matthew commentary on this, who may have been not quite anti-Samaritan, uh, but would have not considered them Jewish. So technically they were Jews from the northern tribes, well, kind of. Uh, the, these were the folks of the northern tribes who around 700 BC uh, were obliterated by the Assyrians, the diaspora formed, they went off and they started hanging out with uh, the Canaanites and the, the, uh, the, the Hittites and all the, all the Ites and the Assyrians and marrying into those families and starting to pick up some of their habits uh, and traditions. But yet many still held, clo held close to the, their own Jew to the Jewish law. They had, like I said, their own version of the, the Pentateuch and believed that they were more pure in regards to how they worshiped God than the Jewish people were themselves. I think some even Samaritans would refer to the Jewish people as sellouts. <clears throat> so Matthew actually spends the most time, the Gospel of Matthew actually spends the most time on the Samaritans. Uh, Mark does not mention them at all, and Luke brings up a few occasions, such as uh, the Good Samaritan and the Samaritan man with leprosy who is healed by Jesus. <clears throat> so John does have the, uh, the Gospel of John does have the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well, but Jesus is the one who talks to the Samaritan woman and uh, evangelizes the town while the disciples are out grabbing lunch. So a little bit of interaction there. Before we go on from the Gentiles and Samaritans, let's look at a little bit, a few more things. Uh, as we know from Isaiah 40, uh, the, the actually Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, uh, the people of Israel were to be the ones who grasped the knowledge of God, and once they do, it will spread to the rest of the world. And so if you're looking for evidence of that's why the Jews existed, then you can go back and read Isaiah 40 through 55 and see that. Recall from what above Paul, it says something similar in Romans, like I said, Romans 1, 6, from the Jew to the Gentile. A prophetic, prophetic hope throughout the Old Testament was about the age of deliverance where the 12 tribes, so the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, would be rejoined and renewed in the Jewish kingdom. The idea was that when the people of Israel, returned, of Israel returned to God and they returned to the land of Israel, that Gentiles would be there with, would be there and available and ready to follow Israel's God. That the idea being the restored Israel uh, would be a beacon to the nations. <clears throat> so based on all that is why we believe at this point, this point in Jesus' ministry, he's excluding the Gentiles uh, and focusing exclusively on the people of Israel. With that said, our caveats. If Israel was not willing to fulfill its role, which it seems like it is not, it was not, it would instead trust in its own power to defeat Rome and not the power of God, then Jesus and his followers would fulfill that role and Israel would face the consequence of being so obstinate they would have to live with that reality because they have refused to do what they were called to do. The coming of God's kingdom meant that a, the, a transformed Israel would transform the world. That was the hope, but it did not happen. Uh, that helps assess the stage for uh, Jews first, but what about Matthew 10, 23, where Jesus says they will not have gone through all the nations of Israel or all the towns of Israel, sorry, uh, until the Son of Man comes. This is actually only said in Matthew, but unlike the 
the first part of sitting out in verses 5 through 15, or probably better said 1 through 15, the verses around 23 are more future focused. So think beyond just that time in which they are in at that point. When the disciples will be engaged in a broader ministry and even more further on a ministry beyond the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean in this context? Uh, for the most part, that Israel will not be fully evangelized before the end of the present age. My understanding of the present age, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, the present age is the time was when Jesus was crucified. That was the end of that age. The whole world changed at the crucifixion, and it really changed. Well, I'd say the whole thing changed when Jesus was resurrected because all the other rules previous to that, not the laws, because Jesus said he came to fulfill the laws, but everything that had been said related to the Jewish people, I believe, had been changed dramatically, changed drastically. Now, there's still God's chosen people for people who are Jewish. The Israel state is no longer what we would think of it as being that way. So there's, there's some big differences now as that we don't have to have Israel regroup in, in Israel, people of Israel to regroup in Israel for the God to come back. I don't see that happening at all. I think that we, we're beyond that point. The context has changed uh, dramatically. Just other ways of looking at the, uh, of the age to come that he's referring to could be part of the Jewish rebellion in A.D. 66, leading to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. I've stuck more closely with the end of age being the crucifixion of Jesus, so you can go as far as the fall of the temple if you'd like to as well. Or you cannot choose either option and find your own. All right. <clears throat> Let's talk about... I hate saying it. I say that way too many. Let's next go to Matthew 15, 21 through 28. So chapter 15, 21 through 28. And we're going to talk about the Syrophoenician woman. Maybe it depends on your translation. The Canaanite woman. Uh, actually, Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite woman because she's Jewish. Uh, that's the Jewish version of Syrophoenician, which you see in Mark, which is the Greek name of this woman. Same woman. Different language. Or different perspective, I guess. Cultural perspective. Coming through with this. All right. Matthew 15, 21 through 20. Let me, uh, let me read that one for us. Unless someone else would like to read. <laughs> I kid. I kid. All right. Uh, after going out from there, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that area came and cried out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. Then his disciples came and begged him, Send her away, because she keeps on crying after us. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, help me. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs eat crumbs and fall from their, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, your faith is great. Let what you want be done for you. And her daughter was healed from that hour. That turned out all right. Seems a little, uh, little uh, hardcore at first, but hey, hey it, all, it all turned around. And so that's been a concerning verse for a lot of people as well, especially if you look at uh, the use of dog towards that woman, which even then and now is not a very nice term. Uh, this is very similar to the centurion uh, that Jesus met in Capernaum back in chapter 8, verse 5 through 13. Uh, they're... they're same, a lot of parallels. Uh, both of the requests come from parents for the sick child. Uh, both are Gentiles. Uh, and both, Jesus shows a bit of reluctance at first, a little bit of ignoring. Uh, two other things to point out between the two. Their faith seems to be more than the Jews, and Jesus calls that out. 
And, and both are healed through words at a distance, as in uh, both of the children are healed from a distance. Uh, and this is the only two times that happens in this gospel. So we have stepped away uh, from Jesus telling the disciples not to visit the Gentiles to now Jesus <clears throat> outright denying the pleadings of a Gentile mother who has a demon-possessed daughter. Uh, it is inconsistent, it seems, in my view, with Jesus' historical action as he's healed a centurion's daughter, as we know, uh, as well as the son of a centurion, see above. Uh, and he has healed many others, like with leprosy. He, had a, he healed a hemorrhaging woman, and we can imagine he had done many other healings that were not recorded. Uh, so why this response? Well, let's first of all kind of give a little bit of an idea of who this woman is. So, so like I said, Mark refers to her as a Greek, uh, uh, in the Greek word of Syrophoenician woman, the word for Hellenus, uh, which is, of course, Greek or, origin translate into Gentile. But here she is a Greek. If she was certainly a Greek, it would have raised some eyebrows that she was even in the room or the house with Jesus, uh, being with a bunch of Jewish people. Uh, they didn't really mix well. Greeks at that time had colonies along the coast of Lebanon, uh, tires on the coast, which is where Jesus is at this point, and were known to siphon resources uh, from the folks in Galilee. Uh, we'd also know that the woman most likely came from some level of privilege and pedigree based on uh, where she lives, her entrance into the house, and this interaction with <clears throat> with Jesus. And that is a little bit more obvious if you look at Mark's version of the story. Uh, Matthew, like I said, says, refers to as a Canaanite, the Jewish version of Syrophoenician, uh, folks who lived in what was known then as the land of Israel before, of course, it was called the land of Canaan. Uh, we, we would sometimes refer to them as idolaters or bad people who needed to be removed. Uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll be able to see a lot of references to the Canaanite people, and they were not looked highly upon by the Jewish people, and the Canaanites certainly didn't like the Jews, but they got along sometimes along the way, uh, as we know, but uh, in this case, uh, it seems like maybe we have a budding relationship going, not in any sort of coupling way, but in a way of Gentiles and Jews. So, verse 22, we should observe that this is the first time a woman speaks directly to Jesus in this gospel. Some have said that her plea seems to come from a psalm, like Psalm 6, be gracious to be gracious unto me, O Lord. Uh, you probably also heard Kyrie eleison uh, for the idea being, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Uh, and so this liturgical prayer of Lord have mercy is what she's saying. She is wanting mercy from, from the Lord at this point. Uh, notice there in verse 13 how she, at first he ignores her despite her plea and the disciples beg him to tell her to leave. Uh, Mark does not involve the disciples. Mark doesn't involve the disciples, it seems, as much as Matthew, but and this continues the trend here. Uh, we cannot take this as just the disciples discounting the woman and wanting her to leave without her daughter being healed. Now, some people have taken it that way, but it doesn't seem like the word being used here, uh, apuluo, uh, it does mean loose, it means set free, and it means to let go. Uh, we could then look at, at this as the disciples saying as a type of prayer to Jesus to loose the demon from the child, and that's, I don't see why that could not be true, and even within the context of this, it seems like, well, it, it may be true. Maybe they've, maybe they've learned something uh, along the way. Uh, so you can either look at this as them being heartless or compassionate. It is up to you. I'm going to stick with the compassionate one because I think it, it fits well with what we have going on here. And um, you hope at some point the uh, disciples have learned something from Jesus uh, related to meekness, humility, love, grace. Uh, verse 24 
uh, Mark and Matthew uh, approach this woman a bit differently. Remember that Matthew most likely got his story from Mark. I think 80% of the Gospel of Matthew has its sources from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark leaves an option open here that after the children of God eat, the dogs will be able to have what is left. Uh, not nice to call someone a dog, of course, in any situation, but at least there's a window for healing and a bit of eating uh, through Mark's version. Matthew takes a different approach and outright denies the woman or the dogs anything, even after the children eat. Verses 25 through 27, uh, she perseveres in her conversation uh, with, with Jesus. They go back and forth <laughs> related to the dog calling and or being called a dog and her persevering with Jesus. But looking at verse 26, we say, why, why a dog? And we see the conversation between Jesus and the woman where he refers to her as a dog, but she pushes back and provides her own rationale to the situation. She seems to believe what Jesus is saying is true. Yes, yes, the Jewish people are first, and that is fine. I get that. But there's always room for more people in the kingdom of heaven. And I think that is her opening up to the rest of the world at that point, that the Jews, yes, yes, Jesus, the Jews are the chosen people of God. But the Gentiles matter too, and they are also welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, some have said that the word uh, for dog here is related to something like a puppy. Kunerian is the word. Uh, it's been translated uh, in, as lap dog, little dog, small dog. Um, <clears throat> and that's what maybe she's referring to. He's being referring to her as. Uh, we do not know it was a dom We do know, however, it was a domestic dog since, of course, it's there at the table possibly eating scraps. Uh, he's not testing her faith or is doubtful that he is, as she is a Canaanite and not a Jewish woman. So when I say not testing her faith, not testing her Jewish faith of knowing that this is God, the Jewish God or Jewish Messiah fully, in the way that a Jew would understand is what I'm saying. Uh, with that said, she had always has some level of faith that this man, this Jesus, uh, this person that they, some of them refer to as Messiah, and some of them refer to him as a rabbi, and some of them refer to him as uh, a scourge upon the nation. It just depends on who you ask. Uh, she has some faith, and she shows up to do that. Uh, he's not teasing her. Some thought there's a little bit of playful banter going on here, and that's probably one of the worst uh, things to say related to this, because you have to think this is a desperate woman in a desperate situation. Her child is demon-possessed. Uh, you certainly would hate to go to a doctor, and uh, the doctor, uh, you, you desperately plead to the doctor, my child's not well, how do, you, how do you heal them? I do not know anything else to do. And the doctor kind of gives you a wink and a smirk and say, hey, hey, no worries, you know, and you don't want that to happen either. So we, we can't believe that Jesus was flirting or having a little bit of playful banter, at least. I don't see it that way, and I know it certainly offends some of our Jewish friends who, when we take on that approach. <clears throat> we know, of course, that uh, dog was a common slur uh, for Gentiles. Uh, at least some people say it was, but it really wasn't. Uh, it was, however, an all-purpose insult to indicate dislike. Uh, though it does not seem that Jesus, that is Jesus' intent to dislike. Uh, another option, Jesus was comparing her to the cynics, which is a Greek philosophical school uh, who took their name that meant dog or related to dogs and cynics do not like social conventions, so they named themselves after something that was not well liked within the, uh, within the culture. <clears throat> but at the same time, I don't see uh, Matthew comparing, or Jesus comparing these, this woman to a cynic philosopher. Uh, the option for a dog that I can go with, uh, based on everything I've read so far, as mentioned above, the word could have been used to mean lap dog or little dog for the people of Israel as the alpha or the, the big dog, or even just the people and the dogs being the lesser uh, 
the 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 lesser being, not human being, but you know you have humans, animals, um, possibly. Uh, so saying the people have been Israel in kind of a privileged position, uh, they were the initial recipients of Jesus' ministry, as discussed first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles, and that's what Jesus is trying to explain here. It's really hard for us 2,000 years to really get the full context when someone is referred to as a dog by someone who's referred to also as the Messiah. At the same time, at the end of the day, this is a desperate mother willing to do anything or be called anything uh, to get her daughter help, and she had enough faith to believe that it would be Jesus who could do it. As we look into verse 27 a little bit closer, uh, notice here that she is showing that Jesus is the authority, master, and, and he is the one with the power. At the same time, she insists uh, he not ignore her. Uh, Jesus, well, let me, we'll get just a second. Uh, some could argue also that the Canaanite woman saw Jesus as just a healer. There are many itinerant healers that would travel around the region and, and heal people. Uh, and Jesus was not super fond of that, as you can imagine. And it's kind of like what you see when you have the uh, Simon the Magician in Acts, where he's going around and he's wanting to allow the, you put the power of the Holy Spirit into people, but he doesn't really get it. He's just trying to make some money off the deal. So there are people like that around who are trying to, uh, to take advantage of people's situations, knowing, hey, this Jesus guy will follow behind him. And we'll heal too. And so uh, that she is possibly just looking to, for a way to be healed, uh, her daughter to be healed without really any sort of faith related. But I don't see that as a strong argument. Remember, the healing power of Jesus is just one part of the saving and redemptive love of Jesus. And I think a lot of times we forget it. We forget that healing of a physical issue, mental issue, uh, emotional issue is just one piece of being part of God's overall uh, redemptive love. Uh, she also recognizes in verse 27 that it is true regarding the salvation of the people of Israel, and through this she shows her faith in something much larger than just a healing remedy for her child. Uh, she is showing us a new perspective of the kingdom of heaven, uh, where it will now be open to the people from the four corners of the world, or from the east and from the west. Uh, the kingdom of heaven will now be based on faith and not someone's racial identity. So she begins to crack that veil. Uh, the veil eventually falls, as we know, when Jesus is crucified and then is gone, and that there's no longer that issue anymore upon Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, though Matthew was written with a Jewish audience of mind, Gentiles like us would have read as well from that being assured. We, we, we could have been, we could have rest, or we could have been rest assured, assured with rest, uh, that they, we have a place in the blessing of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. <coughs> Same thing. Uh, Mark 28, uh, or Matthew 28, or verse. Uh, Mark praises the woman, uh, while Matthew is, is her face, faith that is noticed by Jesus. If she is showing tenacity, he is showing meekness. Uh, he has all the authority here. He could totally rebuke her and completely walk away. Uh, she has called him Lord, so Jesus is seen, is seen modeling meekness by listening to the woman and healing her daughter. It was not typical for Jewish men to listen to Jewish women, or, or I mean, she's not a Jewish woman, to, to Gentile women, especially people who are considered Jewish rabbis or a, a Jew with authority, certainly wouldn't be listening to a Gentile woman. So that he's going against the cultural norm to actually even be listening to her is, is, is a big deal. <clears throat> uh, one more detail between Matthew and Mark. Mark has the woman go home to a healthy daughter, while it seems in Matthew that the daughter is with the woman at least or allows that to be a possibility, the technicality. Uh, so what is the author's rationale for, for all of this? Uh, some have pointed to the Canaanite woman as a recollection, recollection of the past enemy of the Canaanites. Uh, re yeah, past enemies of the Israels, of the people of Israel. Uh, 
the Canaanite people. Uh, as the Gospels teach, an enemy of a past generation can become an ally of the next. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Matthew is helping the reader see that what was in the past is no longer. The Gospels all kind of lead us through that. Uh, probably also reminding us that the Canaanites have played a significant role uh, in ha- or hand in getting the Jewish people to where they are. Today, remember Rahab, uh, the prostitute, was a Canaanite and uh, is in the lineage of Jesus. So she played a key role uh, whenever um, the spies came to her town and to her brothel, most likely not to just check on her, but anyways, she is part of this as well. So showing back to the Canaanites were part of this whole Jewish experience as well, in a, in a good way, as well as some really bad ways. Another option to remind folks that listening, uh, many times in the Hebrew Bible where non-Jewish women came to the prophets asking for help. That happened multiple times. One example is in 1 Kings uh, 17th, where the widow of Zarephath uh, had a son who becomes ill. The widow approaches and and then reproaches uh, Elijah for causing her son to become ill. Uh, Elijah at first doesn't want to do anything about it, but afterwards Elijah prays, uh, prays and the child is raised to life. <laughs> One other, uh, which seems to be the strongest in my opinion, is the woman is seen mirror, mirroring what was taught when Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount. Like in Matthew 5.39, when you are insulted, you do not insult back, but you do not give up ground either. You do not strike back. You continue seeking God. I have to always remember that it is not just the sheep of Israel who are in the image of God, but all people, no matter where they are from or from past history with them, are the image of God. And so that's where we're going to end today. And that happened a whole lot faster than I thought it would. Only 37 minutes. Uh, That's good news. And uh, next week we'll be continuing on. We'll be continuing on uh, other heart sayings in the Gospel of Matthew. And then move on from there. And then on from there. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.